0: Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please, think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators?
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we share stories of people who experienced horrible things and try to imagine what they went through, as well as look for opportunities that could have made a difference, and encourage people to help others that are being abused.
0: Carl Carlson is a 59-year-old man who has lived through many difficult tragedies in his life. He lost his wife and his son on separate occasions. Regardless of these awful tragedies, he still appeared to be thriving in life, even being considered a local hero for saving his children from a fire. But the circumstances surrounding the tragic death of his wife and son was a lot more complicated than they appeared at first.
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan,
0: and I am Rosie,
1: and we just want to say thank you for tuning in to our show today. Thank you, and we want to thank our patrons that have been so nice and supportive to us.
0: But we can't because you guys need to look at your Patreon epi- er <laughs> responses, messages, messages, responses, same thing. Because we need the okay to say your name.
1: Yeah. There's a couple of people we're waiting to hear back from, so if you have recently become a patron, go into Patreon and check your messages, because we just want to make sure it's okay to give you a shout out. Yeah. So.
2: How are you doing
0: tonight, Ryan?
1: Oh, not too bad. Yeah. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. My first time recording in the newly painted office.
1: Oh, yeah. We switched from light blue to gray. And black yeah
0: it's pretty cool sinister in a good way
1: i don't know if you've seen our office on instagram but it looks different now so i'm just excited next time about we it. post a photo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's gonna be a new vibe <laughs> also i've been enjoying our words with friends today Oops. oh
0: yeah yeah that's been fun we got that idea from the office
1: i haven't played that since we were dating and i, I never I'm... played it with you <laughs> before. <laughs> cool. but now now we both have the app, but I don't know about you, but I've, I'm have i only playing you.
0: <laughs> I accidentally was playing someone else thinking it was you, but...
1: Oh, the Bigfoot person?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I haven't. I mean, I haven't.
1: if you're passionate anything. about the game... No, no, no. Might as well sharpen your skills on other people. I would
0: never cheat on you in words. <laughs> <concerns>. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, let's get into the story. Tonight's case, kind of like an onion. It's got... Okay, Shrek. (laughs) No. (laughs) Donkey. Yeah. No, it is Shrek. You're right. Sorry. There's a lot of layers to this case, and so it's pretty complicated. We're going to do our best to give you the voice of the victim take on it. Rosie, you want to get into the story? Tell us who the Carlsons are.
0: Okay. Well, Cindy and Carl Carlson were a married couple with four children. That's right. His name was Carl Carlson. From oldest to youngest, their names were Aaron, Levi, Katie, and Alex. Cindy was Carl's second wife, and the three oldest children were from his first wife, Christina. They lived in Seneca Falls. Seneca. Dang it. Seneca Falls.
1: I mean, it's fine.
0: Okay. Which was a small town in upstate New York. About 270 people.
1: Oh, 270 (laughs) miles. I'm sorry. I forgot to put Put miles in there.
0: Yeah. Anyways, it was about 270 miles northwest of New York City. When Cindy met Carl, she appreciated the way he interacted with his children. He was a doting father who seemed to have a good relationship with his kids. At home, they had three Belgian horses. Well, that's cool.
1: Yeah, there's actually home videos of Carl and the kids. Um, he's helping them ride and get to know the horses. And so it looked like they had a really close um close-knit family had some fun we were just riding horses last week mm-hmm. it's a nice nice way to spend your your afternoon
0: i love horsies.
1: Mm-hmm. um but the family faced a surprising tragedy
0: one night as cindy was drifting off to sleep carl suddenly sat up in bed in a panic he told her to call the police because their barn was on fire It was especially terrifying because the three horses were inside the barn, all locked up for the night. He jumped out of bed and ran outside to try to save the horses, but when he tried to open the door, he jumped back because it was too hot.
1: And The door was metal, so the heat was pretty much unbearable to try to get the door open. No. I know.
0: There was no way that the horses were going to make it. Yeah. That's super sad. We're really starting off on a negative note.
1: I know. And, I mean, it just keeps getting worse. But, before we get into that, um, this is just an awful tragedy. Especially after spending time riding horses last weekend like we did. These poor little guys are, I don't even want to say it, but they're just helplessly burning to death inside the barn. And, like.
2: It's, I don't I'm sorry for it's, that. That's image. a really hard thing to think about. But we about. talk
1: about a lot worse things on the show. I
0: know, but they're neighing.
1: Oh I'm
0: sorry, I'm just that makes me really sad.
1: But anyway, as much as we love animals, this isn't the reason we're talking about this family tonight. There's obviously a lot more to the story. So we're gonna talk about the oldest son Levi.
0: Yeah, well, when Levi was a teenager, he was kind of rebellious.
1: Like a lot of us are.
0: But there seemed to be some issues behind Levi's rebellion. He would stay overnight at a friend's house often, but their mother noticed that Levi had trouble sleeping. Nearly every night she said that he would wake up in a cold sweat crying. He was having terrible nightmares about his mother.
1: And as we mentioned before, Carl Carlson had been married before, but... They hadn't gotten a divorce.
0: Christina had actually died a tragic and sudden death in a house fire in
1: 1991.
0: So you're born. Oh, that's right. Man, you're old. Carl and his first wife lived with the three oldest children on the other side of the country in Murphys, California.
1: Which is about 90 miles southeast of Sacramento, California.
0: The oldest daughter, Erin, was only six years old when her mother died. The family was living in a wooden mining shack at the time. It was January 1st, 1991. Christina had been taking a bath when she started screaming for Carl to get the kids out.
1: Apparently their home was heated by kerosene heaters and one of the dogs had knocked over a container of kerosene a few days earlier and they had used some dirty clothes to soak it up And Carl believed that possibly a spark from the dryer had caused the clothes to catch fire.
0: Mm. Carl was able to save all three of his children that day, but Christina wasn't able to make it out of the bathroom in time.
1: And um, the dryer had been right outside the bathroom door where Christina was trapped, so that's most likely why she wasn't able to get out.
0: All the family could do was stand in horror and watch the house burn knowing their mother and wife was trapped inside
1: so it's pretty understandable why levi would be having nightmares after living through this and they seem to have a real impact on his life
0: only a week after christina died carl decided to take his three kids and move from california to new york to be closer to his family
1: and the local newspaper had actually written an article about him calling him a hero for saving his three children from the fire, so.
0: Which is amazing, but a week is really soon to move, especially for the kids who have family and friends there.
1: True, but his family was back in New York, so. Yeah. I guess it makes sense.
0: Levi struggled with this tragedy his whole childhood, but things got better when he was 16 and started dating his future wife, Cassie Hone. They got married at 18 years old, and soon they had two daughters named Electra and Ivy. But again, when he was 23 years old, after five years of marriage, Levi had a bit of a rough patch and went through a divorce with Cassie. At this time, he moved back in with Carl and Cindy. Well, that's super sad, too.
1: I know. You know, he was still dealing with that PTSD and... Mm-hmm. Nightmares and stuff. I mean, when you're not getting good sleep at night, that has a huge impact on you.
0: True. Levi and Carl's relationship had been strained up until this point, but after his divorce, Levi started really making an effort to mend things with his father and try to have a closer relationship. Carl started paying Levi to do work around the house.
1: And Levi was a pretty handy man, he was really good at working on cars.
0: So, one day, Carl offered Levi $50 to do a brake and transmission job. What? That seems low.
1: I know. I don't know if any mechanics listen, but a brake job alone you might be willing to do for 50 bucks. but transmission work? You'd think he'd pay him a little more than that, even if he is his father.
0: Carl and Cindy had a funeral to attend that day, but Levi stayed home to work on the truck in his parents' garage. Before they left... Carl went to the garage to tell Levi they were leaving. Then they got in the car and drove to the funeral. Afterwards, they went to a dinner and returned home about four hours later. When they got home, Cindy went into the house and Carl went out to the garage to check on Levi.
1: So just to set the stage, this is a large detached garage on a pretty big rural farm lot. So the garage is a decent distance from the house.
0: A few moments after Cindy got into the house, she heard pounding on the sides of the house and screaming from Carl. He was frantically telling her to call 911.
1: And then he dropped a shocking bombshell on her.
0: The truck had fallen on Levi. Yeah. Cindy called 911 and they asked her to do CPR, but she told them she couldn't really do CPR because Levi's chest was crushed.
1: Ugh. Can you even imagine? No,
0: that sounds... I can't. I can't even imagine what that would look like. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. There was an indentation in his chest where the truck landed and his body was cold. Carl started freaking out. He was throwing himself against the walls of the barn and laying on the ground, completely distraught.
1: Yeah, the police actually had to console him to get him to calm down. And apparently in the area where they lived... Farm accidents are fairly common, and there wasn't even a second thought from the police about whether there was any foul play involved here or something. Really? I mean, most of our listeners would probably say that probably wasn't an accident. But the police, it appeared just to be a tragic accident.
0: But there was something that had been bothering Cindy for a while that started to really haunt her after Levi's death. She had always wondered how Carl had known the barn was on fire the night the horses died.
1: She said that he wouldn't have been able to see the barn from where he was laying in bed. He would have had to get up and look the opposite direction of what he could see from his bed to see the barn.
0: But he had always told Cindy that he heard the crackling of the fire. This was odd to her, though, because she didn't hear crackling even after she was awake so she didn't know how it could have woken him up. Following Levi's death, she started having panic attacks.
1: And this was from the stress of worrying that Carl may have had something to do with Levi's death, and it was really taking a toll on her.
0: Another thing Cindy thought was odd was the fact that Levi had even been working on that particular vehicle in the first place. It was a truck that they never used, So Cindy wasn't sure why Carl had even asked Levi to do work on it. Cindy felt ashamed of herself for having these suspicious thoughts about Carl, and she even started to worry that she was losing her mind. She would suppress it, and it would be okay for a couple of months, but then she'd have another panic attack.
1: So this was just really eating away at her to a point where it was beyond her control. She was literally having a physical reaction to the stress.
0: Cindy confided in one of her close friends. She wanted her friends just to tell her that she was crazy so she could move on and hopefully stop having these panic attacks.
1: Yeah, so I mean, sometimes talking about these things and just getting it out of your system is all you need to feel better. That's why we vent to our best friends when we need to de-stress over a situation or talk to a therapist or something, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. At some point, Cindy decided to leave Carl, and she took their youngest son, Alex, with her. She was sick of being terrified all the time.
1: But Carl wasn't happy with this new arrangement, and he was trying really hard to get her to come back to him. But Cindy saw this as an opportunity to get the truth out of Carl because Mm -hmm. she still just had such a strange feeling about this.
0: Cindy told him she would only come back to him after she felt he was being 100% truthful about what had happened to Levi.
1: Because, again, at this point, she was getting really strange vibes from Carl, that he was just completely lying about the situation. And remember, Carl had gone out to the garage to check on Levi before they left for the funeral. Carl was the last person to see him, so... Is this just nervous speculation from Cindy, or is there something really substantial that she should be worried about?
0: Cindy set a date to meet Carl at a restaurant where he promised to tell her the truth about what had happened. But Cindy didn't actually want to get back with him. She just wanted to find proof that her suspicions were true. She took a small tape recorder and hid it inside of her bra while she met up with Carl. While she talked to Carl, he said some things that she felt were very incriminating, so she brought the tape to the police. But when they played it back, there was nothing. It hadn't recorded the conversation. Oh no!
1: Yeah, this really sucks, because according to Cindy, Carl had told her that he pushed the truck off the jack stands. So, there's some seriously damning evidence but it was all gone. And now Cindy's suspicions were confirmed, but she had just as little evidence as she had in the first place. Uh. So can you imagine that feeling of, like, like I fear? can't
0: imagine any more of, like, a a gut-sinking feeling of, like, are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, and especially being now the only person who he's told this to. Right. And fearing for your own life. Oh. That would be terrifying.
0: (sighs) So, after the police found that there was nothing on the tape that Cindy had tried to record, they asked her if she would do it again under more controlled circumstances, wearing one of their wires. Again, she made plans with Carl to meet at a restaurant. This time, the place where they met had four undercover police dining nearby. But wouldn't that be weird if she was like, Actually, Carl... I want to have the same conversation in this restaurant.
1: Well, he was a bit suspicious. So Cindy actually offered to let him search her purse for a wire to put him at ease. And this seemed to be enough to calm his nerves because he didn't even search her purse. Mm. And he seemed to loosen up a bit. It's like, he was like, okay, I'm probably just being paranoid.
0: Was the wire in her purse?
1: No, it was probably in her bra again.
0: Mm. Bras. So handy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This time, she referenced the conversation they'd already had. She said, I asked you if you pushed the truck, and you said yes.
1: So he replied, I didn't push the truck, I said I took advantage of the situation.
0: Okay. (laughs) Then Cindy said again, Carl, you told me that you didn't set it up that way. But when you were in there, you saw the opportunity.
1: And again, he replied, no. After it happened, then I panicked and saw the opportunity. What? Yeah, so opportunity, it's a really odd word to use when describing the death of your son. And now these words are officially recorded by the police. And this word, I mean, these words are what... They were like the linchpin that the police were like, okay, we got to worry about this guy. We got to start looking into this guy. Because mm-hmm. there's really no possible way he could spin that phrasing into a narrative that would be favorable for his innocence. Right. You know, it's disgusting to refer to it that way. So what exactly did this quote-unquote opportunity entail?
0: Well, just 17 days before his death, Levi had taken out a life insurance policy through his work. Of course. Yeah, right? It was for $707,000. As we mentioned before, he had recently divorced his wife, but wanted his two daughters to be taken care of if he were to pass. So he made his father, Carl Carlson, the main beneficiary of his life insurance, trusting that he would use the funds wisely to care for his daughters in the worst-case scenario. Sadly, Levi had no idea how soon this worst-case scenario would play out.
1: So, based on what we're about to talk about, I think it's very possible that Levi could have been coaxed by his father into getting this policy. I mean, he did get it through work, but at the same time, he could have been encouraged. And he was in a rough spot in his life. And that's not typically when people decide to invest in life insurance, you know, when Mm -hmm. they're struggling to be on their feet. That's just my opinion, but I'm thinking maybe Carl used Levi's daughters as a way to convince him that he needed life insurance. Oh,
0: sure. That totally makes sense.
1: But once this policy was in place, that, in Carl's mind, became a huge opportunity because $700,000, that's almost three quarters of a million dollars. But... Mm -hmm. What father in their right mind would see this as an opportunity? Well, there was a lot more to Carl's past than we've shared so far.
0: Police began digging deeper into Carl Carlson's past.
1: And we'll get into more detail about the past, but first we just want to see where this all led.
0: Eventually, Carl pled guilty to the murder of Levi. And admitted to taking the front tires off of his truck and having it jacked up with just one jack stand.
1: Which is incredibly unsafe. It's recommended to have at least two jack stands in addition to the jack itself. So three. Well, there's two jack stands which don't move, oh. they just hold the car up, and then the jack which oh, lifts like the car it okay. should also stay underneath.
0: Got it. But Carl had it just on one. Then he gave it a shove and walked away. So, Carl was sentenced to 15 years to life for the murder of Levi, and he was imprisoned in New York. But after digging into Carl's past, they learned about the fire that had taken the life of Christina Carlson, Levi's mother. And they found that back then, Carl had taken out a $200,000 life insurance policy on her.
1: Which, with inflation is equal to about $377,000 now. Hmm. So that's still a ton of money, and it's very suspicious that he had two close family members die and collected life insurance on both of them. And when he collected the life insurance was very shortly after they had died. But in case that wasn't suspicious enough, there was a lot more.
0: We mentioned earlier that Christina couldn't get out of the door in the bathroom during the fire. But there was also a window in the bathroom. But at the time, the window had actually been boarded up. According to witnesses from the area, that bathroom window had been boarded up just before the fire happened.
1: So, currently, Carl is awaiting a trial for the death of Christina... But there was a preliminary hearing where several people shared their testimony. Um, So we're going to try to tell their more detailed version of what happened the day of the fire um, that killed Christina. And he was actually, because he was imprisoned in New York, he had to be extradited to California because that's where the fire took place.
2: Mm.
1: So that's where he is now awaiting this trial of Christina's death. So currently, Carl has been extradited from his prison in New York back to California where the fire happened because he's awaiting trial for the death of Christina because he already pled guilty to Levi's murder, but he's um, maintaining not guilty on Christina's death. So there will be a trial, but there was a preliminary hearing that's already happened where several people shared their testimony. And one of them was his daughter, Aaron DeRoche, the oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, based on that testimony from the preliminary hearing, tell a more detailed version of what happened the day of the fire that killed Christina through Aaron's eyes.
0: Right. According to Aaron DeRoche, Carl's oldest daughter, on the morning of New Year's Day, 1991, her father took her and her two younger siblings outside and led them to the dried-up Christmas tree they had used the week before. He poured kerosene on it and lit it on fire with a match, telling them that this was a lesson on how quickly a house could start on fire.
1: Which is really ironic for the day that their house started on fire.
0: Yes. Later that day, Christina put the three of them down for a nap. Aaron and her little sister Katie shared a room, and Levi had his own room. Erin was suddenly jolted awake from her nap by the sound of her mother screaming, Carl, get the kids! Erin got up and looked out of her bedroom door and saw flames, so she shut the door and went to open the window. But for some reason, her dresser, which was normally in the closet, was moved in front of the window, blocking it from being able to open. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, someone had to have moved it there. And it had to be one of the adults because Aaron, who was only six years old at the time, wasn't able to move it out of the way.
0: After this, she woke Katie up, and they both laid on the floor under a blanket, trying to stay away from the smoke. They laid there in horror for a few minutes. Eventually, the flames were starting to make their way into the girls' room.
1: So they must have been terrified, being too little to get themselves to safety.
0: Finally, Carl busted in through the window and moved the dresser aside, pulling the girls out through the window. He put them in the truck, where he'd already put the dog. Oh, so he got the dog before the girls.
1: Okay, so I'm not the only one that thinks it's strange that he saved the dog first.
0: It's nice that he saved the dog, but before the kids?
1: Yeah. The dog should never come before your kids. And also, the dresser had been moved to block the exit of the window that's also a very strange i just can't get over that mm-hmm. and the bathroom window was boarded up there's so many strange little coincidences here
0: after putting the girls in the truck he went and got levi and brought him to the truck then he went back to the house aaron saw her father kicking the foundation of the house from the outside but she distinctly remembers that he never tried to break through the boarded-up window, which was trapping their mother inside. He didn't try to use any tools to try to break into the house.
1: So that's odd. According to Aaron, he wasn't even running or panicking at all. He was nonchalantly walking around, not frantically trying to save his wife like most people would. Now, someone might try to defend him, saying but he saved his kids, which is true. But someone had to have moved that dresser to block the window. My theory is that he possibly had planned to kill his whole family, but then realized his children didn't have life insurance yet, and if he killed them off now, he'd miss out out on the opportunity that he actually ended up cashing in on in the future, which was... Insuring one of his children and killing them off. Mm -hmm. It's so disgusting and sad. But Aaron completely believes her father intentionally killed their mother and didn't make any effort to save her.
0: Aaron said that Carl didn't even run on his way back to the truck. He wasn't going to get help until Aaron told him that they needed to go to get help. But instead of going to the next door neighbor's To call for help, he passed their house and drove to another house further down the road. He yelled for them to call for help and then drove back to the fire.
1: So why the heck would he be wasting so much time if he actually wanted to save his wife? Now, he does say that the next-door neighbors weren't home, and that's why he kept driving, and he found people walking down the street to call for help, but still, it's like... his actions were coming across strange to his mm-hmm. six-year-old daughter. Yeah. And, and she's six. And still, why, why would the six-year-old girl be the one that's like, we've got to get help? Right. Like, why wouldn't the adult think of that? And she says that even as a child, at this, on this day, she realized that her father let her mom die.
0: Hmm. eventually fire trucks and ambulances arrived and carl told the kids that mommy went to heaven carl told the children the same thing he told his new wife cindy that the dryer had sparked and lit up the clothes that were soaked in kerosene
1: another side point aaron remembers something spilling on the carpet near the bathroom a few days before the fire and it being covered by a pile of blankets and towels and they had actually been climbing over it and playing on it. So that that detail does line up with Aaron's account, but that doesn't prove that he's innocent.
0: Right. (laughs) Another account of this day came from Howard Stolman, a former sheriff's deputy. He had responded to the call about the house fire, and according to him, the fire damage was concentrated in the center of the house and that one particular spot on the floor was burned more than the rest of the house. And above that area, the ceiling and roof were burned through. He also found a container of kerosene at the house. He said it was obvious that kerosene had spilled in that area where the roof was burned through. The following investigation found that the fire originated in that same small area.
1: But strangely, the bathroom where Christina actually died was only burned near the door, but the room was really damaged by smoke, so it's most likely she didn't burn alive. She died of smoke inhalation, so that's a little less terrifying, I guess.
0: Carl told investigators that the bathroom window was boarded up because Christina had broken it while trying to open it with a toilet plunger after it stuck shut. Yeah. That seems strange. I think
1: that your inflection there is appropriate. (laughs) Because Tracy Carpenter, who had been Christina's best friend, testified that Carl had told her that he'd broken the window. So there's a discrepancy in his story because he told the police that she broke the window and he told Tracy that he broke the window. And, I mean... It can't, it was either him or Christina. It can't be both.
0: Right. I, I don't know why you lie about that, though. If you came up with one story, why not stick
1: to it? I know. And there was also another detail that um, Tracy testified about. You want to get into that?
0: Carl had also told police that he boarded up the window on December 29th. But Tracy testified that she'd visited their house on December 30th, and the window was still intact.
1: And she mentioned Tracy was a good housekeeper who kept the house safe and free of hazards for the children. So that's just a a sad detail to, you know, build Tracy's or build Christina's character because Mm. you know she was a good mom that cared about her children's safety.
0: The former landlady of the house that burned also testified that she had lived in the house that she rented to the Carlsons for over ten years. And had never had a problem with the bathroom window.
1: Yeah, she said the window opened by sliding left into the wall. So I'm wondering how a A plunger plunger would even help with the situation. I don't
0: get that at all. That seems like a really stupid story.
1: Exactly. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Carl told the police that he had poured some kerosene into an empty jug while he was repairing the kerosene heater on the porch but that Christina had accidentally grabbed it and brought it inside, thinking it was water, because they were having issues with their water at the house. So Man, he, having a lot of issues.
1: I know. He says they didn't have running water at the time, but how the heck would she have been taking a bath?
0: Yes, good point.
1: So that doesn't make sense. And also the landlord had something to say about it.
0: The landlords testified that Carlson the Carlsons had never said anything to them about having water problems and that they'd told the Carlsons to leave the faucet dripping on cold nights to keep the pipes from freezing up.
1: And so if you're renting and your water isn't working right, you'd I would tell think them. <laughs> Yeah, you'd call your landlord right away.
0: That's the beauty of renting.
1: I mean, water's kind of important to human life. But So after all these little discrepancies, let's go through Carl's account of this day based on what he told the police.
0: Carl told the police that the dog and cat knocked the jug of kerosene on December 31st, and it spilled onto the carpet. He said they soaked it up with clothes. Which, again, that's really weird, too.
1: Even though Aaron said that it was, like... A few days before Mm -hmm. the fire, and now Carl's saying it was the day before.
0: Then the next day, New Year's Day, they ran the clothes through the washer, then the dryer. He said the whole house stunk like kerosene. At 10.30 a.m., Carl says he checked on the dryer and everything was fine. He says they aired out the house, and then Christina and the kids took a nap as he watched TV. And after that, he went to the the attic to fix a fan.
1: I'm wondering why he's fixing fans. <laughs> and, like, he's a renter. Why would he fix the fan and the kerosene heater when the landlord is supposed to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just odd.
0: Carl says that he came down from the attic to get some tools to bypass the circuit. Christina was in the bathroom at this point. Before he went out to the shed for the tools... Carl placed a light on the china cabinet, which was right near where the kerosene spilled.
1: And it was one of those drop lights, he said. You know, like What's construction that? workers use them. You can, they usually hang oh, from okay. rafters or else they they have like a handle and you can easily carrying them carry them around.
0: Got it. While he was in the shed, he says he heard Christina shouting his name, but he ignored her at first. And what? I guess,
1: I guess that's understandable. Is
0: it? Do you do that to me? Do you ignore me when I yell for you?
1: It depends how our day is going. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, from now on, I won't after Great. this story.
0: Thanks. But then Christina used his full name, including middle name, which got him to look up. And then he saw the smoke. He says he ran to the front of the house and heard his wife yelling to get the children. According to Carl... First, he went to, bro- to break the window to Levi's room and got him to the truck. Then he got the girls out and went for help.
1: So this doesn't line up with Aaron's testimony because she said that he got the dog first and then the girls, then Levi. So that's odd. And Carl also said he was running. But according to Aaron, he was just kind of moseying along with no urgency. So mm-hmm. even more discrepancies here.
0: He told police that after returning from finding help, he tried to save Christina, but couldn't.
1: Okay, so that's version one of Carl's account. But then another um, family friend named Jim Roberts testified during this preliminary hearing about the story that Carl told him.
0: He told Jim that Christina was taking a bath while he was trying to fix some frozen pipes in the attic. He told Jim that a drop light must have fallen out of the attic and landed near the kerosene spill. Well, that's way different.
1: I know. So how can someone who was there saw everything happen have two completely different stories? And how do you not notice a drop light fall out of your attic? That's, That'd be loud. Yeah, you. I think you'd notice, especially if you're using the light to work on something. Mm-hmm. You'd think you'd notice when the light disappears and all of a sudden you're in the dark. Um, But he said he thinks that's what happened. So what the heck? Um, And again, first he said, he told the police he was fixing a fan and then he went downstairs and set the light on a china cabinet. But here he says he was fixing frozen pipes and maybe a light fell out of the attic? What the heck? And also, according to the landlord, the water was piped into the house from underground, and there would have been no water pipes in the attic. Hmm.
0: Carl also told Jim that while he was pulling the girls out of their room, he looked down, and five-year-old Levi was standing at his side. He had somehow gotten himself out of the house.
1: Do I even need to say it? It's another discrepancy, because... um. Before he said he saved Levi, Aaron, who is the only one I believe, says that Levi was saved after the girls were in the truck. So, you know, it's just... This guy's a compulsive liar, obviously.
0: Yeah. Carl also told him that his boss, who was also Christina's father, Art Alexander, had given him an empty envelope with I-O-U written on it instead of giving him his Christmas bonus. Well, that is super lame.
1: Well, is it true?
0: Yeah, true. I mean, is it? <laughs> but after this, Christina's father actually provided check stubs from December 7th, 1990, made out to Carl for both his regular paychecks and a bonus check for $520. What?
1: See? See? That's a huge bonus. That's nice. That's That's real nice. Even in 2019, that's a nice bonus. But he claims he never got it. Uh, It doesn't really have to do with the fire, but again, it shows the way that Carl used his big talking to manipulate people and how easily he was able to lie to people.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Christina's friend, Tracy Carpenter, who we already discussed, helped out with the kids in the days after the fire. Carl had told her that Christina had fallen asleep in the tub after drinking wine before the fire started.
1: He didn't mention the wine to anyone else. So it almost sounds like he's trying to degrade Christina's character yeah, to one of her best friends. A little bit. By saying, oh, she was drunk. Hmm.
0: Carl has a brother named Mike who flew out to California with his wife Jackie on January 3rd, 1991 to help out Carl. While they were there, they drove out to the old house with Carl to look at what remained of it. After they looked around for about a half hour, Carl randomly asked them if, since they were in the area, did they want to go see the Calaveras Big Tree State Park.
1: Which is kind of odd to do a couple days after your wife dies while you're looking at where she died. But I guess he may have wanted a distraction.
0: I could kind of, I can see that. I mean, if something like that happened to me, I'd want to be distracted I somewhat. Yeah. While they were there, they were talking about Carl's plans for the future. Carl said he just wanted to move back home to New York, so Mike bought his whole family airplane tickets to New York, even including a seventy-dollar ticket for the dog. Oh. That was so nice of him.
1: So Carl didn't even have to pay his own way back to New York, even though he cashed in on Christina's $200,000 life insurance policy literally within days of her death.
0: All the witnesses say that he showed little to no emotion about his loss after the fire. No one even saw him crying or mildly upset. But according to Aaron, he was very irritable, and the kids had to walk on eggshells around him and tried to stay off his way
1: so here's a really interesting piece of her testimony. She and Levi actually confronted Carl one day in their childhood and accused him of killing their mother, which is pretty bold. you know that's I can't imagine having the courage to do that to my father. And this actually led to Carl getting into a fist fight with his son. Oof. Like, how sad is that?
0: That's not good.
1: I've been there. When your dad puts up his fists and is prepared to punch you, it's a really strange feeling, and it's kind of pathetic.
0: Instead of denying that he did it, he just said, what will the community think of my children accusing me of murder?
1: Yeah, so he's not worried about earning his kids' trust, which a normal father would instead he's worried about what strangers will think of him Wow and his reputation Wow if, uh.
0: Aaron also said that Carl regularly physically abused her and Levi. She had been choked and punched by her father one time he had held her backward over the barn rafters by her shirt and according to Aaron, Levi got it even worse.
1: What a scumbag. It's no wonder Levi had night terrors. He's not only, this guy is not only a serial killer, but he's a child abuser. Mm-hmm. It's just a total piece of crap.
0: Levi would get beat by Carl by anything from belts, pitchforks, fists, to shovels and electric cattle prods. <sighs> she said that Carl threatened the children into silence, saying that he'd kill them if they ever told. Aaron had actually visited Carl in prison after he was convicted of Levi's murder, and she told him that she knew what he'd done to her brother and mother. According to her, he, quote, smiled like a Cheshire cat and said, It's been 20 years, and they haven't caught me yet. They haven't caught me yet, and they're not going to get me now.
1: Yeah. So, like, visibly defiant to his own daughter. Mm hmm and especially like after he admitted that he did this to levi that he killed him and after all that he put levi through in his childhood he was abusive he was i mean um levi the friend's house that he stayed overnight at in the past his mom the mom of the friends said that levi talked about how mean his dad was and He'd never felt comfortable around his dad. Oh, that's really you know?
2: sad. So yeah.
1: But based on all this testimony we just shared, I think it might convince a jury of his guilt, even if he mm-hmm. isn't going to um, plead guilty.
0: But that's not even all the strangeness surrounding Carl Carlson's past. In 1986, Carl Carlson was actually on the verge of bankruptcy
1: and yet he bought a new Dodge Charger but this car mysteriously caught on fire in his driveway (laughs) we'll
0: figure that
1: (laughs) and he received an insurance payout estimated to be around $10,000
0: oddly his belongings had been cleaned out of the car before it caught fire
1: yeah that's not suspicious at all
0: in nineteen ninety one, when the fire caught, he was actually three months behind on rent.
1: Again, he was in a financial pickle and suddenly something happened where he got an insurance payout.
0: In two thousand two, when his horses were killed in the fire, it was only eighteen days after he upped his insurance policy from twenty thousand to one hundred and fifteen thousand.
1: So this is almost a mirror situation to Levi. Oh, it's just so obvious now. And I can't believe the insurance companies didn't catch on because they usually don't even want to pay out for legitimate claims.
0: Yeah, true. And of course, in 2008, he collected over $700,000 17 days after Levi took out his life insurance policy.
1: Man, can you imagine one person cashing in on two separate uh, insurance policies within 20 days of adjusting the coverage or even getting the coverage. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine an insurance company letting that slide. And Carl had also gotten insurance policies on both of Levi's daughters for $350,000 each. And he'd gotten a policy for his second wife, Cindy, for over $1 million. So... It really seems like he had even more plans for the future to murder more of his family. He's literally a serial killer.
0: We want to mention Levi's daughters again, Electra and Ivy.
1: They lost their father because of this selfish jerk, just like their father lost his mother. It's just so disgraceful.
0: After Levi's death, and before the investigation, Carl and Cindy had collected that $700,000, and Electra actually noticed that her grandma and grandpa were getting new cars and going on vacation, while their grandchildren were struggling financially after losing Levi. According to her mother, Electra asked, why didn't they give us any of that so we could go on vacation?
1: Yeah, I mean, for a kid to notice that, they must not have been very discreet about it right so understandably there had been a bit of a rift between cindy um carl's ex-wife and the other family members christina's family the alexander's and levi's family because i mean cindy did indirectly benefit from levi's life insurance payout Mm -hmm. but we need to remember carl was the evil mastermind behind all this crap
0: Elettra and Ivy's mother actually brought them to meet the lead investigator on Levi's murder, saying they wanted to meet the man that saved their life, and it really meant a lot to him.
1: That would be really, um, fulfilling as a detective, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: According to their mother, Ivy suffers from intense nightmares, just like her dad. She gets up in the middle of the night looking for comfort. She has nightmares of someone breaking into their house and even about seeing mutilated and bloody body parts. Ugh, this poor kid.
1: Oh, it's something an 8-year-old should never be dreaming about. It's so sad.
0: She says they can only watch really lighthearted movies. And even some movies like Tarzan and Lion King would make the girls leave the room crying.
1: I mean, I mean these are lighthearted Disney movies. But it... Makes sense. I mean, both of the movies have really sad parental death scenes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so sad that they can't enjoy these movies the way normal children can. It's, this whole situation has been so detrimental to their childhood.
0: So the girls actually wrote letters for their father's trial.
1: And so we're going to read the letters these girls wrote. And so the first two are letters to the judge. So Rosie, will you read those?
0: Mm-hmm. Ivy's letter states Dear Judge I don't want Carl to get out of jail because I don't want him ruining my life like he did to daddy from Ivy Carlson oh my gosh that's like that's so sad
1: these are single digit age girls
0: Eletra's letter states Dear Judge I feel upset and angry at the same time sad because my dad is not here angry because Carl took my dad that is all I have to say from Elettra.
1: And Elettra also wrote a letter to her grandfather, Carl.
0: Dear whoever is in the room, Carl, you are the worst grandfather. I bet you don't know what love, kind, or kindness means. So if you don't know, here are the definitions. Kind. To nice, good, helpful, willing to please. Kindness. Goodness, compassion. Love. A very strong, warm feeling, or deep concern for someone. Commitment. P.S. I hope you pay the price.
1: (sighs) So, I mean, these girls were affected so much. And his own children were affected so much their entire lives. Mm -hmm. This girl's father. I mean, these girls' father. Just This man affected so many people. And he did get sentenced to life, but no price can replace their father. These poor girls lost so much, and Aaron, Katie, Levi, um, and Christina's family, the A- Alexanders. You know, there's, there are just so many people affected by this monster.
0: Like we mentioned earlier, Carl Carlson was actually extradited from the prison in New York where he was convicted of Levi's murder Back to California to be charged with Christina's death, and that trial is in process.
1: And so the family, um, they keep getting their hopes disappointed because the trial keeps getting postponed. According to their uh, Facebook page, it was originally set for February of 2018, but wow. a few, yeah, a few days before jury selection. Carl's attorney requested more time for Carl's mental health evaluation, which, I mean, he was so scheming like that would even help. But anyway, the trial was rescheduled for October of 2018, still a whole year ago. Um, But again, one day before the jury selection, the same attorney, his name is Scott Gross, decided he had a personal conflict of interest and he recused himself forcing another delay on the trial and meaning that a new attorney would have to come in and learn the whole case and have time to put put together a case so again it was postponed and the family was really mad at Scott Gross because they were wondering how it could possibly take two and a half years for the attorney to realize he had a conflict of interest and how a well-educated and supposedly ethical attorney. um, Like what are the odds of him not realizing he had a conflict of interest until one day before the trial?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It just really seems like it's all a delay tactic So understandably, after this, the family was just worn out and really struggling because of all the setbacks they've had in this one year. Um, On their Facebook, they said it was a lot to process, but they regrouped after that and they were just trying to move forward. So now the trial is set for January 8th, 2020. That's two years after it was supposed to take place.
2: Stupid. I mean,
1: he pled guilty to Levi's murder back in 2014. So it's been six years Mm -hmm. in the making. And I really hope for the sake of the Alexander family and Aaron and Katie and Christina's daughters and Levi's daughters that this doesn't get delayed again because they deserve justice after all they've lost.
0: Although Carl pled guilty to the murder of his son, Levi... He still maintains his innocence in the death of his first wife, Christina.
1: So I would guess that he realized he couldn't fight the evidence against him in Levi's case. And he just wanted to get the lightest sentence he could by cooperating. And he feels that they can't convict him of a 29-year-old case with no physical evidence. So fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. But that's up to the jury. And if they can present all this evidence we've talked about today... I can't imagine a jury finding him not guilty right you know
0: no, I can't imagine him not him being not guilty either,
1: but crazier things have happened in the court of law. I mean hopefully all of this stuff will be admissible, but you never know
2: true
1: anyway, that wraps up the story it's oh. I mean. He's already sentenced to life, basically. I
0: guess, yeah, so it doesn't matter that much. Cause but, it's still...
1: but, yeah, but that's for Levi, and but Christina's matters, family de- yeah. deserves their justice, too. And so, so
0: does Aaron, as Christina being her mom. Yeah.
1: Our thoughts are with the family that's dealing with all this. and. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, well, do we have any announcements for the week?
0: Announcements? Mm, I don't really think so.
1: All right, well... It was a pretty long story.
0: It was.
1: (laughs) So we'll wrap it up.
0: Well, we do have one really nice review to share, and I already have it up.
1: Well, we'll share two, but I know there's one that you want to share, and I'll share another one.
0: Okay. Well, I don't know which one you mean, but I'm going to share the new one. It's entitled, Always Look Forward to Thursday. Basta. That one? Yeah. It says, love the show, guys. The fact that you get a bad review on Ryan's voice. But don't change a thing makes it even better. Oh. Keep it up because you are doing it right. Thank you, Justin Hickey369. Yeah.
1: And thank you for your email. He sent an email, didn't he?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just responded to it.
1: Yeah, thank you for that.
0: Thank you for sharing your love of tacos with me, for we all know I love
2: tacos.
1: Yes, you do. Also, thank you for saying that about the bad review because, <laughs> I mean... It is something that I struggle with. When I get a bad review, I'm like, oh, man, we're doing it completely wrong. We when, don't know what we're doing. When
2: it comes
0: to Ryan's voice, it's so stupid because without Ryan in the podcast, there is no podcast because he does 99.3% of the work.
1: 993 <laughs> That's still a lot. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Very I didn't wild. even ask her to say that.
0: No, we didn't. But he did slide me a 20
1: you're right i don't have a 20. (laughs) i'm gonna share this one Mm -hmm. it's also short and sweet from monica i think
0: i'm sure that's how you pronounce it from
1: fishbowl babe from the united states it says i'm two episodes in and a subscriber now i really like your approach four stars
0: you hey. could have bumped it up one more, Monica, but it's fine.
1: <laughs> I didn't realize it was four stars till after I read it, but it's still nice. We'll throw you a bone. I'm glad that, that she likes our approach.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you. I really do put a lot of thought into how I construct the episodes to both tell an interesting story and tell it in a sensitive way. So hopefully what we're doing is working out. It seems like it is.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's been going well.
1: We really appreciate our listeners and also our patrons. Thank you guys so much. I want to remember to start thanking you guys more often because and you really do mean a lot to us. What was that?
0: In sending out their stuff.
1: Yeah, Rosie has some things to send out, I think. Yeah, I do. Um, but yeah, thank you again. And if you are new to our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on instagram at vov podcast um you can follow us on twitter at vov pod you can email us at vovpodcast at gmail.com we do have a lot of listener requests on the back burner we do that are in the works but i mean don't let that discourage you from sending in new ones
0: and make sure you look at our store
1: oh yeah com. there are t-shirts for with our podcast logo and with a. Uh, design that rosie made that she's part of so yep yeah if you want rosie's face on your uh body (laughs) (laughs) never mind um so thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week (laughs) bye